I think the most important is surround yourself with the most honest people around, right? Uh, at times, you might think that you have a great idea. And if you're surrounded only by yes people, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So you need people in your corner who would try something and say that, okay, this is interesting, but I don't think this is going to work with an audience or somebody who would say that, yes, this is it. This is a crazy idea. We love it and let's try it. So I, I think that's the most important thing is your team. Every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome back to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders from around the country to talk about their path to success, their challenges, and creative process. Today, I have a special guest who's known for her groundbreaking culinary style that melds Indian flavors with global techniques. She is an acclaimed chef and insightful judge on the Food Network's Chopped and a successful restaurateur. Yes, you guessed it right. We have none other than Chef Mani Chohan with us today. We will delve into her early life and career and the key influences behind her unique culinary style. We'll explore how she modernizes traditional Indian dishes and her perspective on the industry. She'll share stories from her television career, her journey as a woman in a male-dominating industry, and her take on some of the biggest misconceptions about Indian cuisine. She will also give insights into the pandemic's impact on the restaurant industry, her thoughts on social media's role in the culinary world, and her advice for inspiring chefs. We'll discuss her passion projects, including her exciting cookbook, Chat, and she'll share her journey through India while researching it. So if you are an inspiring chef, a foodie, or just someone who loves a good story, this episode is just for you. Hi, Chef. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you very much to be on the show. I know you are a very busy person, so I really appreciate it. I always start the conversation bringing my guests back to their childhood. So obviously, we all know you are from India. And I'm curious, what food and smell reminds you of your childhood? It's really interesting. The smell that reminds me of childhood has nothing to do with food, but everything to do with food. I'm intrigued now. Yeah, it is the smell of the first rainfall on parched, dry land, that smell. Okay. Every time, I mean, the summers in India used to be blistering, really hot. So when the first mm-hmm. rainfall used to fall, it used to be, to me, in my mind, I would have that, oh, it's raining. 
means I'm going to get the sweetest mangoes coming into the market and lychee season is in town. So to me, that was the most amazing part about like that smell reminds me of like fresh seasonal fruits. Uh, And yeah, that reminds me of childhood. And then you said that for you, it's the time of like the season of the mango coming, correct? Mango, like the sweetest mangoes and lychees. And the mangoes are really different from the one that we know here. Oh, yes. I mean, if you... If you haven't had a mango in India, then you know what? You can just say that you have not had mangoes because they are absolutely delicious. Mangoes are called the king of fruits in India for good reason. No, I haven't. I haven't been to India, and that's on my, um, you know, on my list, on my bucket list. And I want to go there during the, you know, holiday. Yes, that's uh, really what I would like to uh, experience. <laughs> It's such a wonderful festival. And not only in terms of colors, but in terms of food. Because all festivals in India are uh, marked with traditional food items that you get. And mostly Indian sweets. So my mouth is watering just thinking about it. So how did you first discover your passion for cooking? And, and what led you to become a chef? As a kid, I grew up in a very small community in India. Now, in India, each and every region has a very distinct cuisine of its own, right? Like Northern India or Punjabi cuisine is completely different from Eastern India or Bengali cuisine or Southern India. So the cuisines are very different. Uh, my dad was an engineer. He, uh, we lived in a community where there were people from all over India. So I grew up in a predominantly Punjabi household. That's the food that my mom made. But my neighbors were from southern India. Uh, There were other neighbors who were from eastern or western. So I literally would finish dinner at home, go over to my neighbors' houses, tell them that my parents hadn't fed me, and can I eat with you guys? And I literally would start that journey in the kitchen, just see the aunties cook, the spices they use. And the amazing part was that my neighbors from Southern India, they didn't, uh, like auntie did not speak Hindi very well or English. And I didn't speak Telugu, that's the language that she spoke. But I could spend hours with her just over food. And to me, I think that that was such a powerful connection when I realized that you can connect over food. Right. You don't need to have a spoken language. You just need to have the love language of food. And I think that's why I decided that this is the industry I wanted to be in, because connection with people was very important to me. How were you at that at that time? Five, six, seven. Oh, wow. Younger? Who knows? And um, so now, how would you describe your um, your culinary and cooking style? I think my culinary and cooking style is ever evolving, right? Because as a human being, as you grow, you learn things. And if you learn from those experiences, you grow as a human being. And that to me is food. So my foundations are very strongly embedded in Indian cooking because that's what I grew up with. But because of the global experience I have, and I actually went to school to do baking and pastry. 
And that also really helps in my perception of how I look at food or how I present food. So I think that my uh, style would be foundation in Indian cooking and regional Indian cooking. And then I grow from there from whatever I learn. So you mentioned, you know, the foundation Indian cooking and then different key influences probably from your travels and your experience here in the U.S. So what is maybe like the latest influence that you feel have been impacting your uh, your cooking style? I think the latest influence would be uh, recently I went to Peru and that was amazing. Peruvian cuisine is another great example of, you know, uh, the world coming to Peru and how the food got you know, involved and evolved. And I think that is incredible. So that is like, I mean, I never knew that there was an entire Peruvian Chinese cuisine called Shifa, right? Like there is Indian, India, Indo-Chinese. So to me, I think those are the things that fascinate me the most. I, I was there in October. In fact, I was in Lima. And um, yeah, the Chifa and the Nikkei, you know, with the Japanese influence, I think it's it's really amazing. And it's interesting to see now in the US, especially in the coast, like bubbling, you know, like restaurants coming with the Nikkei influences. I think it's it's pretty neat. Beautiful. I really love that. Um, that's what I love, like, uh, you know, living in the US uh, is, is really this, you know, cuisine coming from different culture. That's That's really amazing. So how do you balance uh, traditional Indian flavors with the modern techniques in your dishes? I think the most important is surround yourself with the most honest people around, right? Uh, At times, you might think that you have a great idea. And if you're surrounded only by yes people, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So you need people in your corner who would try something and say that, okay, this is interesting, but I don't think this is going to work with an audience or somebody who would say that, yes, this is it. This is a crazy idea. We love it and let's try it. So I I think that's the most important thing is your team. And is it something that, you know, this kind of philosophy and wise approach that you were just describing, something that you acquire, you know, through your experience in life? Or is it something that you had already you know, when you came to the U.S. and, you know, started the business? Far from it. When I came to the U.S., I was like, I came from what I, you know, what was the best culinary, I mean, hospitality school in India. I, you know, uh, worked at some of the best hotels in India. I was at the best culinary institute in the world. So I had enough airs about myself. Uh, You know, that is the folly of youth. And then you fall a few times and then you have to pick up yourself up. And along the way, I think that is the most amazing thing about growing older is how you learn about... um, how you learn how to cope with different situations in a much calmer way so that the solutions are in front of you, right? It's, it's really funny. I, I, one of the biggest life lessons that I, every day when I drop my kids to school, you know, they open the door and I turn to them. I'm like, they are, they're like, no problems, only solutions. And I'm like, yes, 
That's what it's all about. So I'm hoping that if I say it often enough that it will stay with them. But no, this is, you know, it takes a lifetime to reach that almost Zen state. And and I don't think I've reached there yet. Uh, because just before getting on this, I was I was on a call with my manager and I was flipping out about something. And I'm like, forget it. So, so you know, it's human nature. How does your modern take on Indian cuisine differ from the traditional Indian dishes? And I understand that's maybe a very generic question because, as we know, there is very so much specificities in Indian cuisine based on the regions and so on. But uh, I'm just curious how how you modern take on it. I just have fun with it. To me, it's like, what do I want to eat? Right. And if I want to eat it, then then, you know, I'm going to present the best version of that and people would want to eat it. So, for example, um, you know, my husband Vivek and I, we went to Montreal and we tried um, poutine. Right. And we are like, you made a you made an Indian version yes, of poutine. We have an Indian <laughs> version of poutine. It is called um, the uh, the tandoori chicken poutine. It is one of the highest sellers in the restaurant, and and that's what it is. Or like the first time I ever had frito pies, which I had never had. I'm like, okay, how do I you know make it my own? And I think that's what makes it so much fun. Is uh, to me, food is fun right when people take out fun or out of food that upsets me that's why i am a big like you know i love street food i i love like when people say who are the chefs that you look up to i say it is the street vendors because they have limited they have limited resources right everything is fresh because they have no storage right and with limited resources, they are making such incredible flavors. They're doing something. Right. That's why. That's what. Why you have then written chat, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And that's to me. Uh, my book chat. It was an ode to um, the street vendors of India because they have just. It's it's amazing. Till date, if you ask me what are the favorite dishes or what, where would you like to go and eat, I would, you know, I've, I've eaten at Michelin star places or number one on the Pellegrino list, all of that. I would still be gravitated to those simple street vendors because they have created magic and flavor from limited resources. And to me, that is what is incredible. <music> So if we just pause a little bit and talk about chat. So can you can you tell us about your journey through India while researching and gathering those recipes for the book? So chat translated from uh, Hindi means to lick, right? So chats are Indian street foods that you are after you taste it, you're licking the bowl, the spoon, the hand, whatever comes in contact with the chat. And uh, growing up in India, we used to take trains because the trains were much more economical and much better connected than, uh, you know, planes at that time, right? I remember summer holidays, we would take a train to southern India. We lived in eastern India. And winter holidays, we would take a train to northern India, like, you know, my dad's parents and my mom's parents. And it was so 
fun because the trains are unlike the trains here. The windows were open, the doors would be open, no air conditioning. Each and every small station, the train would stop and the local vendors would come to sell their wares. And most of it used to be food. So I got the opportunity to taste the diverse cuisine of India by sitting in a train for three days. And then as I started getting older, I would look forward. I'm like, from this station, I'm going to eat this. From this station, I'll eat this. From this station, I'll eat this. So for the book, we went back and tried to recreate a little bit of the journey. A lot of this is from memories, but a lot of this is from recreating, you know, like uh, those stops. So we took a train journey and it was it was really interesting. Like the whole experience was amazing. If there is like a um, specific recipe that you could talk to us about that I couldn't make at home? I think one of the easiest recipes, especially given the season that we are in, there is a pineapple chart recipe, which is delicious and it's easy. It almost reminds me, you know, when you... Um, When people go to Mexico, they are people who are selling, uh, you know, the pineapple, jicama, uh, cucumber, watermelon, mangoes with some tagine on it. That is pretty much what it is in India. They're selling the same things with chaat masala on it. And it's just amazing. What do you think is the most main, like, misconception that Americans have? about Indian cuisine? That it's only curry. Ah, and it's okay. very heavy. And I, I think, I mean, the misconception is because the misconception has been created, right? For the longest time, people, the only way for immigrants to make money was to, you know, the one thing they knew was to make food. Right. But they were also immigrants who needed to make money. This wasn't a passion for them. This was what they needed to do to survive and for their family to survive. So the ingredients which were used were subpar. There was too much oil. Right. So then Indian cuisine got that perception of 895 all you can eat buffet, <laughs> which yeah. is which is not what I mean, like in, if you go to India, Buffets over there are considered lavish, right? And so, so there was that entire dichotomy of what's going on over here and, 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 you know, what's, what's going on back home. But now I think that with the next generation of Indian chefs like me, we are proud of our cuisine. We are proud of our uh, heritage. We are proud of our culture. And that is what we want to show the world. So there are some delicious, like, you know, Indian food, which is coming on the market right now. You know, that's true that, um, you know, I remember when I was younger, uh, even in France or, you know, here, you know, curry was everywhere and, you know, tikka masala or tandoori chicken. And it seems almost that those menus were fixed and there was absolutely no influences from the season. So can you tell us a little bit the you know, what Americans have been missing and that what they have to look for and then this seasonally influence in, in cuisine, if you can have maybe one or two examples? 
You know, one of my favorites is that uh, growing up in India, red carrots. Red carrots were available in December for maybe two weeks, right? Red carrots are sweeter. They are used to make this carrot pudding called garjar halwa. To us, those are the two weeks. You get it. You get it. You don't get it. Wait for next year, right? Everything was seasonal. And seasonality and food does have a direct effect on your body, right? Like if you think about it, root vegetables are consumed more during winter because it gives the body heat, right? Herbs, etc. more during uh, summer because it cools your body. So, so those are the things which uh, to me, I could never think of getting peas other than in winter. Right. And I remember sitting and just peeling the peas as we were getting it. So seasonality in Indian cuisine is a quintessential part of Indian cuisine. That's how we grew up. That's how we ate. That's how we eat. So uh, to me, I was really surprised when I came here. And I remember I had come here in December, that also in Chicago, Mm -hmm. when I first landed from India. (laughs) And uh, my sister, uh, she was living in Chicago and she's like, you know, we were going home and she's like, I'm going to step by the grocery store. And first the grocery stores, they blew my mind because the stores in India were farmer's market. You take your vegetables on Sunday. If you do not, if (laughs) you do not buy it on Sunday, then wait for the next week. Right. So, so to me, walking into a, you know, a large grocery store was it blew my mind I was seeing artichoke for the first time right or the fact that I saw asparagus in winter I'm like what is going on over here or you know so so or even mangoes and I'm like hold on and then you taste it and you realize that the product has no flavor that was something which was like to me which I was really sad about you talked about your creative approach based on anchored in Indian cuisine and then the influences coming from, you know, travel. You mentioned the example with poutine from Canada. You mentioned that recently you went to Peru. So probably maybe something that would inspire you for, for a, a later dish. But how do you thing you would describe your creative process when you are thinking about launching like a new menu or you know a new item on the menu can you you know talk to us about it i think it's a combination of a lot of moving parts right one of the biggest moving parts is what inspires me and the team right because the one the favorite part of being a chef is the creativity right so i do not restrict the creativity only to me because that's what my team also enjoys and it is a collaborative effort you know we are coming up with something and you're like okay what do you think about this what do you think about that i think that's what keeps it really really exciting the the second part is also to see what our customers are saying what our guests are saying right if there is a need for something and we've heard it over and over again, then it is our job to cater to what our guests want. Mm-hmm. So, so that is the second thing that we take into consideration. The third definitely is how it is placed on the menu, 
does it make sense on the menu right like for example we did an event where there was there, there is this french doctor who wanted a french indian uh, you know entire meal and that's really not out of the realm of possibility because pondicherry in india is mm-hmm. you know is an area which was fresh french influenced and and that's how the food over there is so you know we made this uh, you know uh, butter chicken like ratatouille so so we did all of that and it was a lot of fun but when we started talking with the entire team about putting it on the menu it did not make sense on the menu right so so those are the things that need to be taken into consideration food cost definitely right we have to take food costs into consideration because in the end of the day we're also running a business right it's not whims and fancies only so i think it's a combination of all of that but it is a group effort it is everybody contributes everybody tastes everybody gives a feedback not only kitchen in the front you know our servers because our servers are the front line they are the people who will give us the most honest opinion so so it's just a collaborative effort this creative process of yours and of course with collaboration do you think it's get easier easier with time and experience i don't think so i don't think it gets easier and i think in a way i don't want it to get easier because okay. if it gets easier then you become passive and if you become passive then you do not give your best right uh, so i do not want it to get easier i want to push myself to the limit every time and my team because that's when we when we create the best if that makes sense yes absolutely and um you know i really love as well before you example with this uh, specific you know french slash indian menu that you had to do for a specific occasion and the fact that as a team you decided not to include some of those dishes in your menu and your restaurant because it doesn't fit so how do southern food because obviously you was based in nashville or anchor in nashville how do southern food and indian cuisine interact together there is a lot of commonality in it believe it or not lot of commonality in it right from ingredients like black eyed peas which i used like i remember that used to be mom used to make it on sundays it would take forever to make uh which over here is such a staple right or even with like collard greens collard greens remind me of sag so like the roots the, i think the foundation is the same the foundation is that these are humble roots right it is not a cuisine which was it's not something which came from like you know palaces it came from humble homes and i think that's what makes the commonality between uh, you know it's the soul they call it the soul food that's what i think you know indian food to me is it is soul food so that's how that and the southern food really goes well together but there's a lot of commonality in ingredients that i used in techniques which i used you just have to be open to receiving that and mm-hmm. then you'll be like ha huh, oh okay Yeah, that works. Yes. So I think that's what makes it fun. Do you have an example maybe from uh, the menu that you have in Nashville? I think one of the best two? is like the black eyed peas and yeah. collard greens. Okay. So we have this black eyed peas and collard green curry which we serve along with uh, 
with a beet croquette. It's actually, now we are not serving it, uh, but, you know, uh, we will later on in the year. But it's got this beet peanut croquettes, like peanuts are used extensively in Southern cooking also, boiled peanuts, etc. Then there is a boiled peanut chart that I make, which is, you know, again, I was so fascinated with the boiled peanut uh, concept. So, so yeah, a couple of those ideas. Okay. And then you launched not too long ago, uh, this restaurant, uh, Tansuo, like the contemporary Chinese restaurant in Nashville. So we have three restaurants over here. Chohan is uh, the Indian. Yeah. Tanso is the uh, Chinese, and then Mockingbird is the Americana. Yeah. So Tanso is um, it's it's really fun. It is contemporary Chinese. We a lot of people were reaching out to us. They were saying that you know there was a need for a contemporary Chinese restaurant in the Nashville culinary tapestry. So we were like, okay, that's what we are going to do. It's a beautiful place. We have fun with the menu over there also. We have things like hot chicken dumplings, right? You're in Nashville. How can you not have hot chicken, right? And then we have uh, the dumplings, but we have like forbidden rice, lob- you know, forbidden rice with lobster, we do um, the usual things like the general souls chicken, but elevated. We have, you know, char sui pork. Like it is just like a really fun menu. So those three restaurants that you mentioned, I guess, are part of uh, your hospitality group Morph, correct? Yes. So we have a hospitality group called Morph and these three are under that umbrella. Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about the objective and the values, you know, of this uh, hospitality group? My husband, Vivek, uh, and I, we are not only life partners, but business partners also. Yes, stupid idea, uh, (laughs) but also the smartest one. So uh, it is the reason why we decided to start a hospitality company was because um, I am more in the back of the house. Vivek is more the business aspect of the entire thing. And we wanted to form a company which uh, gives people the opportunity to grow. Okay. So in all our, in all our concepts, most of the growth is from within. Matter of fact, people who are with us, they are people who've had, who've got partnership in restaurants. And to us, because we've been at the lowest rung of the ladder when we started off, we realized that opportunities need to be given for the growth of this industry. So that's what we do. So our idea is to make sure that there is growth. I mean, of course, as a business, we want the business to do well. But our goal is to make the hospitality industry a stronger one because our philosophy is a rising tide raises all ships, right? And we are one of the ships. So if we can contribute to the rising tide, why not? And obviously, you know, like many of uh, your colleagues, you know, you went through um, a low tide, you know, during the the COVID um, situation. So what, what advice would you give to aspiring chef, you know, looking to make their mark on uh, the culinary world? I think the first advice I would give is that there are no shortcuts to success, right? 
there is no elevator to success you have to take the stairs right and it is okay to fail because what you learn from failure is so much more valuable than what you will learn from success do you think the right? younger generation of people entering this industry understand that concept i don't think so but then i also don't think that when we were young we understood that concept okay so it is something which comes with with either you hear the people who you look up to and listen to what they are saying right or you make your own mistakes and learn from them don't be dejected by the mistakes it's absolutely fine failure is is a very important part of growth mm-hmm. right and be ready to pivot right you might have you might have a plan that you want to be you know the world's best chef right first of all how do you define that and second of all if if you get an opportunity to open something which you know because the one plan that you have is not going according to plan be ready to pivot yeah and and that's what it's all about i think the one thing which covid taught us the one word that covid taught us was pivot 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 yeah we pivot, heard pivot. it many times oh. yes absolutely too many times so um you know i i've seen um your uh, testimonial in the documentary that uh, chef elizabeth faulkner you know did during the uh, the covid so um obviously you know covid impacted this industry tremendously some people are still you know recovering from it but what do you think changes that you foresee in in the future because of you know like the ripple effect i would say from from covid you know this industry has always been uh, you need grit to be in this industry right you need to uh, you ha- you realize that you need to love this industry you need to be obsessed with this industry to succeed in this industry and uh, i know that when i started off to me i didn't even think like tv was so far away from even like it was not even on the horizon right i was good at what i did that's why i got on tv nowadays i see a lot of people doing things because it's the other way around they are expecting why do you want to be a chef because i want to be on tv mm-hmm. and that is not it i mean and and the thing is that with social media and all we have fostered a generation of people who want to learn shortcuts in cooking food and at times it becomes which is great it has a place but it only has a place when you know the foundation so you need to know your basics to go ahead and start cutting corners for it right so at times i do get very worried about that that uh, i am hoping that uh, you know the next generation realizes that the work has to be put in the foundation has to be built right you need to know how to make a really good bechamel sauce right it's not it's 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 that's not a not a shortcut right uh, so so to me i am hoping that i am wrong and that the next generation would give a lot more stress on basics as opposed to anything else you know don't you think that 
because of technology, because of like social media, the new generation, that there is almost like two paths for being a chef that you have, you know, the one that you're describing when you have to take, you know, the elevator to success step-by-step by step and going in each and every, you know, level and pay your dues. And this is chefs at restaurants. But then it seems with that technology that you have as well, the possibility to become a chef, you know, on TV and, and even don't have a restaurant. I, I think it all boils down to the longevity of your career, right? I mean, we've seen that if it is, you know... If you're on television and which is a fantastic platform, right? Because people get to know you, people travel over to meet you and all of that. But to me, the big thing is that, you know, there, there is a longevity in, in career. There is a strategic way of building a path for growth. And at times it's not that, you know, that one hit wonders, right? To succeed in this industry, you have to, you know, that it cannot be a one-hit wonder. It needs to be a one-hit wonder every day, every moment, right? Each and every dish. And that's what it's all about. So talking about television, obviously, you know, you have been on TV and many, many shows. So could you share a memorable experience from your time as a judge on the show Chopped? I think the most memorable part was when we did, you know, when we used to do Chopped Juniors. And what I would love is that these young kids who didn't even reach the table, like they had to be an apple box put under them to reach the table for them to work. These 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids would stand in front of you and explain a dish with what we have in front of you is a gastrique with a reduction. And I, I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> so, so it was just so amazing that these kids, they put in the effort to figure what these words meant. Rarely did they use the words out of context, which a lot of older chefs have used it. And to me, the most refreshing part was they hadn't been told the parameters of cooking, right? So it was a blank canvas. And a blank canvas is the best canvas for creativity. So the amount of dishes that they created at times just blew my mind. So that's always been my favorite part about Chop. And was it, what was it like to uh, compete in the Tournament of Champions? Oh God, things that nightmares are made of. No, I, I learned that I, I read that you know you you are you are tense and stressed about it, but when we see you, it seems that you're having fun. So I am having fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> no stress doesn't about transpire it. on TV. You know, I uh, to me, I you know I love competing. Only because people say that, oh, so who are you most afraid of competing against? And my answer is always myself. I love competing because it pushes my creativity to the limit where just regular everyday cooking doesn't, right? You've got, you've got these random ingredients, right? It's called the randomizer. So it's random, right? There is the clock. 
there is the audience there is guy there is simon or justin like there is and not to forget those like 12 13 cameras right around you right so to work in that environment and to come up with a dish and to win the tournament or to reach the uh, the finale is i mean it makes me very proud it makes me very proud so it's for you a way to balance a little bit the boredom i would say that you know like <laughs> being no a restaurant because i thought back working in a restaurant so having several restaurants was you know a lot of pressure but you are telling me that wish, you need that at level. times i wish for boredom there's no boredom in my life i keep my life very very uh, interesting and uh, and constant movement yes <laughs> so what's next what's the next competition that you will be on as a judge uh, or as competing Well, uh, the usuals are going on with the you know guys' grocery and you know uh, with um, chopped and hopefully TOC next year and uh, the usuals are going on and I think that's what is what makes it fun. Let's go into the rapid fire questions. So, you recently hosted Toast Nashville. So you know quite well uh, this city, and I love this city myself. So you and I are going on a tasting tour in Nashville. So what are like the five spots that you will take me to outside of your restaurants, of course? <laughs> Dang! I said there goes three of them. <laughs> yes, three <Okay>. already out. <laughs> so uh, I'll definitely uh, take you to um, Biscuit Love, where we have to have bonats. Okay, they have these incredible bonats, which are. Amazing! It's it's biscuit and donut. You know they married and they had bonats as babies, which are delicious. Loveless Cafe. Loveless Cafe is probably one of the most iconic places uh, which has been around, and I think that is incredible and absolutely delicious. I do think that Rolf and Daughters is. Like what they do is just exquisite, and there's so much pride in what they do. City House is iconic, uh, you know, and 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 that is incredible. I I do think Etch uh, Deb Paquet, what what she's done, she's such a she and and Margot, they both are such like icons in the Nashville culinary scene. They are pioneers, so I think either of those places. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Vanilla ice cream with hot chocolate fudge and a lot of candied uh, uh, pecans on top of it. Wow, this is very specific. <laughs> very specific, yes. Very good. Okay, three cookbooks that inspired you the most recently. Recently, uh, Lior just wrote my um, Middle East, the Middle Eastern Pantry. Which is beautiful, like you know, with with all of his spices and stuff, which is incredible. Pat Martin's uh, Pat Martin's uh, barbecue book is really good. That's that's beautiful. I think what they have done, what he has done, is incredible. Uh, I am from here by uh, Vishwesh Bhat. Beautiful book. Oh, I don't Absolutely know that one. Incredible. Okay, what's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? Organization, clean as you go. I always say that clean station, clean mind. You know what you have to do. 
you make a mess, you're going to make a mess of whatever you're creating. What is the best thing about being a chef? No two days are alike. There okay. is constant there's constant movement, which no is what I thrive on. <laughs> and what's the worst thing being a chef? No two days are alike. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So beside the classics, what condiments, spices, sauces, dressing that you like to have on hand at home? Ooh, uh, right now I'm, I'm on a big uh, chili crisp, uh, li like the whole world, like, like the whole the world. Whole I'm world, on a yes. big chili crisp cake. There is an Indian ketchup, which is called Maggie hot and sweet ketchup, which I cannot live without. Yeah, I think uh, pickles, kimchi, kimchi. I always like, you know, make kimchi out of anything and, and love that. And okay. the gochujang and all of that good stuff. So the last one. What is the best piece of advice that you have received that you can, you know, share with younger generation, for instance? Oh my God, so many pieces of advice. I think the best piece of advice which has been with me since I was a kid was when I decided to be a chef. And at that time, it really wasn't cool to be a chef, especially in India, especially if you're a woman. My my parents told me that do whatever you want, just make sure that you're the best at it. So I think that advice that whatever you're doing, do it, put your heart and soul in it and don't settle for mediocrity. Give your best, be the best that you can be. Chef, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that. You know, you were able to uh, uh, be on the show Flavors Unknown. Uh, we have been um, exchanging. In fact, I was trying to remember the first time we met. It was at the Chief Marketing Officer Conference in Nashville. And you were presenting. You know, I was part of um, of the club. So that's the first time I met you. It was, I don't know how many oh, years back. <laughs> I thought that we had met much before at the CIA. Uh, but, no, but no, you're the right. CIA, we met, we met uh, you know, recently, in the fact, uh, of the year. You know, last yes. year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where you were very kind enough to take a picture with uh, my book. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Which is an incredible book. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. From the smells and flavors of her childhood in India to the bustling kitchen in her renowned restaurants, our time with Chef Mani Chohan today has taken us on a truly international culinary journey. We learn about her groundbreaking approach to Indian cuisine, the inspirations behind her dishes, and the challenges she's faced and overcome in her career. Thank you, Chef Manit, for sharing your culinary journey, wisdom, and passion with us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on this flavorful journey. We hope it's left you inspired and your taste buds tingling. Remember, the world of flavor is vast and unexplored, so keep your taste buds curious and your palate adventurous. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or a colleague and subscribe to our newsletter on the website flavorsunknown.com. Join us next time on Flavors Unknown, where we'll continue to discover the story behind America's most delicious dishes and the chefs who create them. Next week, my guest will be Will Guidara, former co-owner of Eleven Madison Park and author of the book called Unreasonable Hospitality. And until then, keep in mind that the people who likes to eat are always the best people. 
Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.